Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It is Orange and Back Check episode 54 with Sam Carcitti. That's right, the one and only Sam Carcitti right with us here on Orange and Back Check. But first, retro jerseys right now. This is the Orange and Back Check podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhardt. It is episode 54 of Orange and Back Check, and it is a big one. We have Sam Carcitti of the Philadelphia Inquirer joining us. But first, Scott Weinhardt is in front of me and joining me. Scott, what's going on, brother? Hey, man. Look, I'll tell you what. I am so thrilled that these jerseys leaked. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. The Pittsburgh one looks awesome. The Flyers one looks like something you've seen out of Kmart back in the late 90s. Dude, so, it looks like – let's just get into this. It looks like the – they took the Lehigh Valley Phantoms jerseys, whichever one, I don't even know which one it is, whether it's their primary home or third jersey, and just said, let's combine this with what the Flyers have and make it really crappy. Like, that's really what I thought they went with. I don't think it's crappy. I'm not going to no. lie. I like the look. I'm not going to, you know, why I like the look. Now, I know most people look because at this. Because you're and say, a dad and want to be retro. Well, no, I, look, I, even back then, like, you know, I look, I can't stand up people wearing starter stuff again. Like starter stuff was the worst in the nineties and it's still the worst 25 years later. So there's yeah, no, not there's a great no brand. change with that. Not I, a great brand. I will say this though, with the retro, it is cool because it looks like a lot like the late nineties jerseys. There are away jerseys when they were orange with the black stripe running across the top and then the white shoulders all the way down the arms and the black the sleeves near the wrist. That was a really cool jersey back then before they went into the black jerseys and those just disappeared off the face of the earth. Yep. It is very similar to those, but it has black on the shoulders and white near the sleeves. They kind of reversed it. I like how they did that because when you would see the knockoffs back in the day, when you'd go to Kmart, as their people probably remember, it's out of business since then, or when you go to like, you know, Foreman Mills or wherever, a ton of sponsors right now are getting a, a ton of, you know, free pub. That, you know, <laughs> Orange and backcheck at gmail.com if you want to join. <laughs> but I tell you what, it's, you know, what I like about it, it is different. It is different. And the Flyers yeah. have taken these retro jerseys they've had the past, like, de- past decades since the Winter Classic and really have made them different um it would say what it really was the first one was the 2010 winter classic when they went with the all white with the orange stripes i love that because that was a throwback to the 70s and yeah, the yeah, other yeah. alternate jerseys and that's what but, incorporated the nameplate that they still have today right like it brought right. that back which i think is a nice crisp look for philadelphia flyers jerseys in terms of that i just look at this one and it's not as bad as the the what is it? The gold anniversary, the fifty-year anniversary oh, for the team. Terrible. But terrible. 
it's up there, man. I don't know what the appeal is to this jersey. And I like the I like that the NHL is doing this because it's not just the Flyers in Pittsburgh. You brought up uh, Pittsburgh's how they're having the diagonal Pittsburgh uh, yeah. style coming in back into the fold, yeah. which I think is a nice crisp look. It, it's right. just one I think. There's something about the Flyers jersey or the Flyers franchise that has stuck around six, since they came into the league in 67 uh, under Ed Snyder. They haven't done much in terms of their jersey. Like, like cuz the Flyers logo is such a classic logo in my right. eyes. I, it's a little homerism, but it is. It's a classic logo and they never really want to do too much to it. You get the 50-year thing with the gold and the and the that ugliness, but you also get some hits where I think the stadium jerseys from 2018 when it was in Pittsburgh and they went all black and that that trim of orange I think that's a hot take here I think that black jersey is better than the 90s one and the 2000s one I you know what I'm I won't I won't lie to you I I was never really a huge fan of the black jerseys when they became full-time mm-hmm. I thought they're very good as a black as an alternate but I didn't like that the black the Flyers colors religious black and white because they only had orange stripes them it was cool look but I, I'm a, I, the the stadium series jerseys they're really just a not they're kind of very they're very similar to the third jerseys right now which I love I think the third jersey right now are, are awesome because they're pure black with just yep. white outlining and an orange trim and it matches the other two jerseys because really the home jersey is just orange with white on it you really don't see any black yeah. down near less than less is near the uh, the wrist and same with the other one it's it's white with orange I think it's cool the worst jersey I'll say was the stadium series when they played here in Philadelphia the pure orange one that was the the worst jersey that I've ever seen in my entire life. Mm, yeah, it was just pure I, no, because again, I, I I go back to I go back to the fifty year one. I think that one was okay. Far right, worse. I'll allow it You're because right. like the the, gold, the orange the one. I think there's something to, and I can't believe we're getting into this depth of a conversation about jersey Jerseys. color and everything. But like, <laughs> we're that podcast. Now. I th- I think there's something to the Christmas of the 2010 white jersey. That like just brought it together. It's clean and it looked clean. The nameplate was nice and tri- nice and crisp. Mm-hmm. That's why they kept incorporating that. Um, the orange one, they did the similar thing, if I recall. Like the, it was a black nameplate instead of a white uh, in their normal one. I thought it worked well. I didn't think it was the worst. I didn't think it was the best for sure, but. I liked I liked it a lot. I I I mean I liked it. I I don't think it was the worst thing. The Rangers one was better. The Rangers Chris the, 20, they, the Winter Classic one. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Alternate right. after that. Absolutely. That was the best iteration they have of the third jersey. Uh I'm not gonna lie. I was always impartial to the one they launched in the early two thousands, the one with the silver outlining. I yes, the people didn't like that. that with the changed logo. I liked that it was different at the time. It matched what a lot of teams were doing with different third logos. It was just a cool, yes. edgy thing at the beginning of two thousands. We've talked about this time and time again, and this is why it's a good thing that the NHL is doing this because right. it's not just the Pittsburgh, it's not just the Flyers, they're doing it for Vancouver, and thank God for Vancouver in in specifics. They did not go back to the brown and yellow, and I think they even a little bit of red in there. Yeah, it was black, red, and yellow. Yeah, the old like, Canuck jerseys from the mid nineties, and it had the V shape. It just looked yeah, like that was it early like a giant jersey. turd. It honestly <laughs> looked like a giant turd on the ice. It, it was very, like it was. It looked like their early eighties jerseys were like yellow, mainly yellow with a black and red stripe on it, and it, yep. it, was, it was an awful look, awful, awful look. But that's what it was in the seventies th- and eighties. But thankfully, this is like a I forget what the exact title, what like reformed 
retro retro something like that that the nhl is doing so it's that v-shaped that they had in the 80s but thankfully it's the blue it's the turquoise it's the white that they have today for the vancouver canucks which i think works a little bit better and actually a lot better than the turd sandwich that was flying around the ice in the 80s i'll tell you the worst looking jersey out there right now is the vegas golden knights gold jersey they just released oh god that that jersey is just disgusting ugly looks like terrible It, 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 it looks like a puddle of pee. It looks, yeah, that's what it looks, it looks like. like. It, it's yeah. a pee? It's, it, it's pee. It's I mean, pee. let's, right, let's just stay on bathroom humor. Let's just, we've been, we already labeled the turd old Canucks jerseys turds. Turd. Well, we let's just pee. go full with it. That's it's a it, great it, thing. They leaked, it looks like they leaked their fourth jersey as well. That's mainly red with mm-hmm. outlines of gray, gold, and black. And that one looks sharp. So that one I'd like to see come around full time more for them. But, uh, yeah, Sometimes every once in a while, the fan concept jersey that leaks out, you see it on Facebook nowadays. You saw it yeah. on like the message boards back in the early 2000s, mid 2000s. Uh, th- sometimes those were crisper than like it, it was almost when um, you remember when the NFL partnered with the uh, with Nike a couple years back and everyone yeah. did this crazy concept for what yep. the Eagles were going to look like, what the yep. Panthers were going to look like. And it looked really nice. But obviously th- what the Nike just did is just they changed the paint and that was a little that uh, like and that was it they the logo went from a Reebok to a Nike and that was it yeah but compared to this um yeah I I think this this is a good move by the NHL's marketing department because one you need to create revenue somehow like this you got to create revenue somehow in a pandemic era um while that's still going on, you still don't know what's going on in the NHL in terms of when the season starts. And we're going to get in now with this Sam momentarily. And it's just, I think that appeals to a bigger fan base. I think people, this concept of uh, retro is a good one because people are fans of retro. You saw it with the Kings jersey with the pink, or excuse me, the, the, the purple and yellow uh, back a couple years ago that they, the people started to fall back in love with. So I think they lean into this to get a bigger fan base. I don't, I don't know how you think. Uh, no, I agree. I think it's a great way to get other people different looks, different, you know, it's, it's a way to kind of take what can get kind of mundane with the jerseys. Again, my biggest complaint about the jerseys is the fact that the home team wears the colors all the time. I think that is the most mundane thing in the entire world. Well, because- why don't they, I think they should just do what the NFL does and just say, hey, what do you guys want to wear? Because that's why Dallas Cowboys always wear white at home. Yeah. And, like, and they, just and let they them choose. The I, I think it's silly because before the 2000s, well before the lockout, they started this, I want to say, about 2001, 2002. That mm-hmm. they, um, they, the home team started wearing the dark jerseys. It was cool at the time. But the thing is, is that when you always see your team play that you go to a ring to in their dark colors playing against a team that's wearing white, there's yeah. no personality yeah. to it. It's yeah. just there's no different colors. You you don't see the difference of it. Like you know what? One of the experience of going to see the players play is to see them in in, in their colored jerseys. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, to make when you say like I remember like years ago I'd go to games and like you see like you know the uh the mighty when I saw the Cincinnati Mighty Ducks play the Phantoms years ago when Brzezgalov was a Cincinnati Mighty Duck, believe it or not, and back in two thousand three. Wow. Um, yeah, this is, this is how I remember this. Like it was yesterday. But it was really neat seeing, like, wow, like this is pretty much the Mighty Duck jersey how it is. If it was white, it'd been like, eh, you know, it's got the logo, it's got the logo on it. And it's yeah. really 
comes down to because the colors are so minuscule. I think the NHL really does a good job of it, but it does itself a disservice by not using the alternate jersey and having multiple alternate jerseys and using them sometimes at home as well. Um, I, I, I think that that's where the league does itself a disservice because only those fans get to see that. It should be when they go to other rings that they should wear all the different colored jerseys because that's a cool thing for other fans to take a part of and get them to notice that. So, um, you know, I look, at the end of the day, this will be good for the league because it'll, you know, people are going to like the different jerseys. Some people will, some people won't. So you, if you have four different jerseys, that's a pretty cool thing, actually, for the Flyers. You have your home and away, which yep. people normally wear anyway. You have your alternate, which always becomes very popular. And then you have this retro one where people will be like, dude, that's a sick look. And some people are going to be like, I hate it. But especially anytime it's a black jersey. If there's a black jersey, yeah. I think that's – like, that's why, I, like I said, the, fly, the black jersey, I think today that the Flyers are uh, – that don every once in a while, I think that's a better, crisper look than what the old black jersey used to be. Mm-hmm. But the, the old black jersey still has just a big of appeal, if not mm-hmm. bigger, to mo- I would say, for the majority. So keep them coming, NHL. Like, this is, this is exactly what you guys need to be doing in terms of trying to appeal to a fan base and make your money because we both know – we all know – that you guys need to be making your money after what just ha- what what you guys just went through. We'll probably talk a lot more of that next episode when that comes around, depending on yeah. this. Thing, well, things are slow right now. We're not going to go really too much into it today. Uh, but next by next episode, if we don't see a whole lot of movement. There's going to be a lot to talk about of why things aren't moving. Yep, yep. And probably a big announcement, too. We've been partnering with some people out there that we'll, uh, we can officially talk about, hopefully, uh, off the air. But first... Let's get into this episode, what it's really about, Scott. I mean, I can't believe we get to say that he's going to be on the show today. Sam Carcitti is joining us right now on the Orange and Back Check. Sam, how is it going, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for that uh, flattering introduction there. It was uh, way overboard, but thank you. Well, you've, you've been doing this since, what, 70... 76, 77? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I was actually in college when I started uh, freelancing for the Inquirer, doing high school sports, and uh, it's been uh, an enjoyable run. Yeah, that, well, let's it, it, talk about – when you say enjoyable run, let's get right into this about what you just experienced for the NHL and really sports altogether. Um, as viewers, we had a different experience compared to you who – really got to co- obviously cover the team during this quarantine bubble that they just did. What was that like? Obviously we're doing this right now, virtually digitally. It's, it could not have been easy for just to get the experience of what was really happening within the team. Right. Yeah. It, it was strange. Bill it really was the, uh, uh, you missed the atmosphere of being in the arena. You missed the fans, I think more than anything else. And, and uh, you know, it, the canned applause and the canned reaction of the fans to me, it just, it just got old. It just, uh, you know, if you're watching it and, and you're not really paying attention to it, it's okay. But then when you stop and think about it, it, it's, it's like canned laughter when you're watching a TV show, it just, it just graded on me a little bit. And, uh, you know, this isn't how hockey's supposed to be. You know, thankfully they, they at least got the games in, but, uh, you know, I, I think the NHL, agrees with that. And obviously money plays a big part. And I think that's why you're going to see the 2020, 2021 season start later rather than sooner because they want fans in the seat seats for you know, financial is number one, but number two, the atmosphere, the atmosphere just was not there. And, uh, and the interviews, I mean, you, you know, we were kind of limited because we could only get four or five people and the Flyers PR staff did a great job of, of getting them to us. 
but uh, you know we did zoom calls as you know after the games and and uh, but sometimes you know you somebody would bring up a point and and talk about a different player and you wanted to get that player to get their reaction and you couldn't do it but you know we all did the best we could and and uh, but it, it it was strange yeah was it like it seemed almost because you really only could get one or two questions in, I feel like there was a there was kind of like a this silent agreement bef- between you and all the reporters and beat writers. Like, if there was something, it didn't happen often, but when it did, the next reporter kind of s- felt obliged to follow up on the point that was just addressed because there was no real opportunity for you yourself when you were trying to get Chuck Fletcher or Claude Giroux, anybody that was uh, that was available to you to really follow up on what ultimately happened an ultimate failure in the playoffs to try and get that point. And obviously it's more difficult when you're not in person to not hammer them, but to get their point across and what they're trying to make. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, on off days when we got Chuck Fletcher say, or, or Claude Drew or whomever, um, it was a lot easier to get in, you know, follow up questions or maybe get three or four questions, but you're right. After a game, you had basically one question and then it would go to somebody else and maybe six, seven, eight, nine people would ask. And then it was done. And you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there were numerous times where I had my hand raised in the zoom call and you just don't get called on for a <laughs> second. Question. And, and it's understandable because, you know, you had people from NHL.com, you had people from all over right. uh, asking questions and it's only fair that everybody gets one. But uh, yeah. And as you said, there were a lot of times that, uh, an answer begged a follow-up question. Right. And, you know, it's like you're in sixth grade in school and you're raising your hand. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great comparison. It's just, and it didn't happen. Really, yeah. Didn't, yeah. So, yeah. but th- like I said, we did the best we could and, and uh, you know, hopefully uh, uh, the readers enjoyed it. You know, Sam, it's one of those things you talked about how the environment wasn't the same. You know, we've talked about on our podcast before how what makes playoff hockey is the crowd, the noise, the electricity. You can feel it at home through your TV, and when you're there, it's times a million in the regular season. I have to ask, how much do you think that – because it seemed to me with the fake crowd noise and stuff like that, you know, I I noticed something like that. It it was okay for the first game or two, and then you realize, oh, it looks like a video game here. How much do you think that impacted the players and how much energy they fed off that? Because – you know, when you look at the Flyers, they went into this before the shutdown playing fantastic. And then coming back, they seemed a little flat in a lot of spots. Do you think the crowd and the energy had an impact with that? Yeah, but what I would say, Scott, I, I think it did for, for both teams. But, you know, both teams had the same situation. And the Flyers played – I thought they were real crisp, uh, you know, in, in the first round. Uh, not the playoffs, the uh, – uh, the, the round robin. robin, round robin, yeah, 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 playing round, whatever you want to call it, and uh, uh, but after that, the the it just it seemed different, I, I, yeah, and you described it really well. It did almost seem like a video game sometimes, <laughs> and uh, but it was, you know, but both teams had it, and uh, I was disappointed to be honest with you in how the Flyers played in the playoffs and in, in you know the Montreal series. You know, I know they won in six, but you know they they really weren't the better team in a, a lot of periods and yeah. in the Islanders series, I thought they were very fortunate to take it to seven games. Yeah. I thought the Islanders are probably the better team in two of the three periods, almost every game. Uh, you know, the Flyers had stretches uh, where they were real good, but um, not enough consistency. And, you know, it's been well documented. You guys know better than anybody that, uh, you know, the veterans did not play to their uh, capabilities and, uh, you know, 
and here we are. I mean, it was uh, uh, it, it was strange. And and I think Game Seven with the Islanders also left a, a bad taste in a lot of fans' minds. And, and you know, I mean, if if you lose that game three two and it's a hard fought game, there's there's you know no harm no foul. Hey, you did your best, but to to go out like that with such a you know, a weak game and not really play with intensity and, and give the Islanders credit. But uh, I think that left a sour taste in everybody's mind. And, and who knows, maybe it'll help them next year. Maybe they'll remember that. And, uh, you know, you'll see them better off for it in next year's playoffs. Yeah, well, and quickly to leave me my, my, my follow-up question with that is that, you know, you look at the offseason now with the flat cap, teams seem kind of paralyzed for the most part to make a lot of moves. The Flyers really can't make a move without moving some money. This team, they signed Eric Gustafson, and that's really been the only move they've done so far besides re-signing Nolan Patrick. They really haven't done anything else. They lose Tyler Pitlick. What is your sense on where the team wants to go from this? I mean, it seemed like they needed a little more of an upgrade, a little more push up front. What do they think that – how do they think they're going to fill some of those um, – you know, get over that hump and get over that game seven, so to speak? Yeah, I think Chuck Fletcher's really rolling the dice here with uh, comebacks from Oscar Lindblom and Nolan Patrick, and hopefully it happens. But if it doesn't, this team's, um, you know, not in great shape offensively. I mean, they played great offensively during the regular season, but we saw all their flaws in the postseason, and especially the power play. Power play did not score uh, in in the two playoff rounds, and, and that can't happen. That You know, you look at that, I mean – uh, that's that's why they're not they didn't advance, and to me it's a head scratcher right now. And I wrote uh, I guess it's about a week or two weeks ago now that uh, I, I think there's another move. I think another shoe's going to drop. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like you know you signed Gustafson, uh, you could have easily moved Ghost, you know, in, in his spot and used that money and signed maybe a, a Mike Hoffman who is a good sniper and he's going to score 25 goals on, on a, a bad year. And Anthony Duclair is out there. I'm, I'm a big Anthony Duclair fan. I know he's played on a lot of teams and there's some question marks, but he was an all-star for Ottawa last year. And, I, you know, he's got speed and it just adds a dimension the Flyers don't have. So, um, you know, as I wrote in the Inquirer story, I, I just think it's a little premature right now to rate their off season, because I think there's another move to come. I hope there is, if there's not, uh, you know, one of the guys that, that may make the team is, is Lena Sandine. He's got a shot to make the team. Is he going to make a big difference? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, the obvious thing is it looks like <laughs> ghosts will be traded, but you would have thought that that move would have coincided with the signing of Gustafson, that something was already in the works. Yeah, you just wonder. I mean, and maybe, you know, he's he's going to have Ghost in the lineup with uh, <laughs> with Gustafson and uh, go with an offensive defensive core, if you will. But to me, defense wins championships. That's where I want to yeah. be. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be really tough to replace him. You know, we saw that they improved by almost three-quarters of a goal. They went from 3.4 goals allowed last year to seven. And, you know, that was remarkable. That transformation. Now, some of it is because Carter Hart was steady and really good, and and he looks like he's going to be a, a star. But uh, a lot of it was because of the defense too, and Niskan was a big part of that. And they really didn't get somebody to replace him, and and maybe they still will. But if they don't, um, you know, it's uh, it's a big question going into next year. 
Was that the biggest shock you think to Chuck Fletcher and in going into this offseason just to follow up on the defense? Like Matt Niskin was supposed to be here till at least next season uh, when he signed. I mean, when he suddenly drops the hammer and says, hey, I'm, I'm going to call it quits, whether whatever reasons they were, whether the, he just got tired of it or he the, obviously everyone's questioning what's going to happen with coronavirus. But when he comes up to Chuck Fletcher and says, I'm going to retire after this season or I'm done, I'm not coming back. Does that shock Chuck Fletcher to such a point where he has to almost make an overcorrection and now it kind of messes up his entire offseason plans? Yeah, it really did shock him, uh, Bill. I mean, it was uh, he, he told that to, to us in a conference call that, uh, you know, he was floored by it. And uh, in fact, you know, he's known about it. He knew about it for quite some time before he made it public mm-hmm. and, and, uh, you know, told Nisky to, you know, just sit on her for a while, go back with your family and, and think about it. And uh, he missed his family. He's made tons of money. doesn't need money. Um, you know, you mentioned with the coronavirus and the uncertainty of next year, and are you going to play in a bubble? Are you going to play before fans? Are you going to play games in Philly? And, and uh, that didn't appeal to him. He's got a young family and he wants to be with him and, and uh, you know, more power to him. Yeah, it does well, leave the Flyers in, in a big hole, as you mentioned. Yeah, and and going off that, I mean, what they did do successfully, and I I, I think they did successfully at least. And you wrote a, an amazing article. I mean, how often do you get to write about not only hockey but also sheep farming? I, I mean, that's what came with uh, the first round pick with the Flyers right winger Tyson uh, Forrester. Yeah. What was that like? I mean, I think this kid is going to be special. I th- there's obviously a lot of question marks surrounding his skating, but what Flyers fans forever have been clamoring is a true sniper because they Flyers fans that consistently mislabel Claude Giroux as a, as a sniper. Um, he's a playmaker. So to finally get this kid at 18 years old who has some stuff to work on, he's not going to be in this team for this coming season, but to finally say you have a sniper in the pipeline, that's got to be exciting along with the sheep. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, a little skeptical when they drafted him just because of his, um, the red flags with skating, as you mentioned, but I talked to a skating coach and, uh, you know, I, I've done a reversal on it to talk to a skating coach. The skating coach says he's improved by leaps and bounds during the pandemic. And, and he said he was skating basically with his upper body and his shoulders and, and he changed his technique. And he said the people in the Ontario hockey league, when they see him again, they're supposed to start December 1st. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they see him, they're going to be amazed. Yeah. Hopefully they're going to be amazed by the transformation that he has made. And, uh, you know, his shot, he's got one of the best shots uh, of anybody in the draft. And uh, his office is the left circle. He's been compared, his shot's been compared to Ovechkin's. And and uh, he's been compared to a Corey Perry. If he's, uh, you know, if he develops into a Corey Perry, the Flyers have a, have a great player. I'm not talking about Corey Perry now. I'm talking about Corey Perry, the guy who won a cup with Anaheim. Yeah. Yeah. And with, uh, you know, a perennial all-star. So, uh, I'm excited. He's he's big kid. He's 6'2", 194. He's going to get bigger. He's going to get stronger. When he's in the NHL, he'll probably be about 205. And he's, he's a power forward. And as you mentioned, he, he is uh, a, a sniper, a much-needed sniper. And they haven't had one in a long time. And, and uh, yeah, he's, he's going to help this team. There's no question. He thinks that he can play uh, after this year. So, in other words, two years from now, he thinks he yeah, can play the NHL. And, you know, and I like that confidence and maybe a little too optimistic. Usually, you know, you need more time, but I like somebody saying that I like somebody, you know, having confidence and belief in themselves and, 
And, uh, you know, it, it's going to be fun to watch him. I hope the OHL does start. They're supposed to go to camp November 15th, which is right around the corner. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hopefully they, they can start December 1st. And it, it'll be fun to watch him uh, as he develops down down the road. But uh, for people that didn't read the story, he, you know, he loads and unloads 500 to 1,000 bales of hay each day on his grandparents' farm in the summer. And he, and he does all, you know. Uh, trivial stuff. He, he's uh, shoveling manure. He's cleaning out cages. He's he's doing a little bit of everything, but you know he's farm tough and and uh, he's old school and and uh, he he does uh, you know different drills running through uh, potato farm potato crops and, and uh, you know it, it, it's great story and I I think that uh, uh, fans are going to love him. He's got an engaging personality and he doesn't take things too seriously and. And uh, just a just a very uh, uh, great young kid. He's 18 years old, and uh, his future looks really bright. You know, it, it's funny. I, I grew up myself loading around hay bales and stuff like that. I can tell you, they're not light. So, yeah, you do get farm <laughs> tough out of that. Absolutely. <laughs> I, and I want to follow up with the confidence factor. You talk about that, but he's humble as well because you mentioned in his article that he thinks he needs another year in the OHL, which is which is great. I think that 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 humbling aspect of him is really awesome. But let me ask you this, Sam, is because you know, the Flyers have been rumblings about Patrick Laine possibly being flipped here for, you know, some sort of package. Hey, you know, I don't know how much credibility there is to it and stuff, but you see stuff out there and you hear about it. The question is, is that since they have a guy like Forster, it seems like to me that they don't need, even need a guy like Laine. They can wait a year or two for this kid to develop, maybe even three years. But rather than go out and get a Patrick Laine, yes, he might score your 40 goals off the bat, but you're going to have that heavy price tag. And you got to think with expansion too that that goes into the plans. What do you think about um, about that? Do you think he'll be ready in the next couple of seasons here, or do you think this is more like of a long term project for the Flyers? Yeah, realistically, it's probably going to take him uh, maybe uh, instead of two years away, he's probably going to be three years away. But but you never know. But getting back, Scott, to to Line A, I, I would respectfully disagree. If you can get Line A, I'm all in right now. If you have to give up a first round pick next year and Ghost and and a third round pick, and uh, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I, I am too. I, I mean, line A is you, you do whatever you have to do to get line A right now because I think I think you would agree with this, Sam. If they get line A, they're up there with the Islanders and the the Tampa Bay's of the world of the Eastern Conference, and they're contending in the Eastern Conference Championship next year. And the kid is 22 years old. Yeah, he's been around for a long time. He's 22. You know, he he goes on your top line and he gives you the. Uh, you know, the 40-goal score you need. He, he, you know, makes the power play go from being mediocre, which they were in the, in the regular season. They were awful in the postseason, but they go from mediocre to probably top 10. And, uh, you know, it, it just – he would add a lot of excitement. There's just so many intangibles. Uh, you know, he just he gives them a, a different feel. Yeah. Um, they didn't and, have that feel, I don't think, in, in the playoffs uh, just because, you know, it, it took them – six really hard fought games to get by Montreal and uh, you know, then they, they expended a lot of energy in those two overtime games to get to a game seven, you know, against the Islanders. It, it just seemed like they were always chasing games. When you have a big score like line a though, you don't chase as many games. Yeah. That's very I, true. Before we wrap, I, what, I think Scott and I were always interested in, like like we had led at the top of this, we, you've had a illustrious career. You've been covering the Flyers or just writing in general since the 70s. What's it been like for you who has grown up in print media, writing every day, writing every biweekly, whatever it may be, 
And then all of a sudden you made this transition to social media and it wasn't like you had the choice. You, you were, you had to go to social media or you like your bosses were going to be like, we're going to move on and just go from that point. What's it been like for you to, to adapt to a digital media as a print person who's been doing it for so long? Yeah. Are you talking about like Twitter and Facebook? Yeah. Or you just talk, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been interesting. It's been, I, I, I enjoy interacting with the fans and, and in the beginning, when I was on Twitter, I, w- I would try to answer almost every question. And, and I think people appreciated that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and some people would say that's what makes you different. Uh, other writers don't really take the time to do that. But then as Twitter grew, I would, my questions grew eventually. I mean, it, it was impossible to yeah. answer every question. So it's, and a lot of the questions were very similar. So you try to pick one out that, you know, that a lot of people have asked because that's something that uh, a lot of people want answered. And, uh, but uh, you know, it, it just, it, you get a lot of negativity as well and you have to have thick skin and you, and you can't take it too seriously. But yeah. you know, I, I, I enjoy the, uh, the give and take with fans and I enjoy reading their, you know, their views on things because, you know, they're saying what we're saying. And, and a lot of times uh, more times than not, they bring up great points so I enjoy it. I mean, um, have you ever, have you ever used a question that you've seen on Twitter from a fan and going, Oh, I should ask Chuck Fletcher this. I should ask Claude Giroux. Oh, this. Yeah, yeah. 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 No question. <laughs> no question. I mean, you know, um, you know, fans bring up great points and, uh, um, you know, if somebody out there has a question that, that means, you know, probably hundreds of other people have that same question. Yeah. So, uh, no, I, I think it's great. And then, and then we do a newsletter now, a Flyers newsletter every week, myself and Eddie Barkowitz. Um, I'm actually on vacation right now for a couple of weeks. So Eddie's, uh, you know, steering the ship right now. And we, and we use questions, you know, from readers in there. And uh, sometimes we give our opinions. Sometimes we have to go to Fletcher or Brent Flair, their uh, uh, draft guru to answer those questions. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it just supplements our coverage and, and helps. So, uh, but I enjoy social media. I, I do not enjoy some of the negativity, but I just, you know, like people say, how can you read these comments? You know, when somebody gets real negative or whatever, and I said, you know, you just, you just move on, you know, you can't take it too seriously. So, uh, but you know, for the most part, I, I think social media is great. Yeah. I, I got a couple, you know, you talk about, I remember as a kid, I remember learning a lot about hockey just by reading some of your articles as a kid. I mean, uh, you know, that maybe show my age. Make me feel old. I the same show my age a little bit too, but you know, honestly, like back in the day, I, I grew up, my, my growing up and watching hockey was in the late nineties, you know, and I reading those articles, I learned a lot about the game and stuff, you know, talk to me. What, what was your favorite, era of the flyers and what you had to cover and you go back you said you started in, in college how did you get on the beat and and you know how did you uh what, what would you come to enjoy most about your career so far yeah when I, I started I did high schools for 20 some years and I loved the high school beat and and my kids were young at the time I actually was offered uh the 76ers beat at one time and and I didn't want to travel because my kids were young I coached them in all their sports whether it's basketball you know um soccer uh, baseball, whatever. I coached every sport. You know, I saw them in all their recitals and plays and all that. And you can't do that when, you know, you cover a pro beat. I, I did cover the Phillies for probably 20 some years as a backup writer. And, uh, but I, you know, I, I did make a decent amount of road trips with the Phillies. I, I, for instance, I covered the 93 world series in Toronto and 
and uh, covered a lot of memorable games. The Phillies covered Tommy Green, no hitter in Montreal, but, but, um, but I really didn't want to travel full time. I wanted to be home with my kids when they were growing up. And then when they got older and got in college and all, and an opportunity arose to do the flyers, you know, I, I said, I think it's, you know, time, I, it'll be a, a good challenge. And, and uh, I replaced Tim Panaccio who had gone on to the Eagles at that time and had done a great job with the flyers. And, and uh, so that was about 13, 14 years ago now. So I've been doing the flyers that long and, uh, Probably the biggest challenge, one of the biggest challenges, believe it or not, is the is the travel, because uh, you know by the end of the year, um, you know you you do a lot of waiting in airports because you know we play obviously in the winter in a normal season, yeah. and yeah. Uh, you know there's a lot of delays at the airports, snow delays, especially in Canada. You're in Edmonton when it's 20 below zero. <laughs> yeah, and, that cannot be fun. <laughs> Winnipeg, which by the way is a great city, I love the people in Winnipeg, uh, but it's great because you get the to find out you get to travel to places I never would have been to without being on the beat. But the travel is one of the obstacles. And, and in the beginning, <laughs> getting Wi-Fi hookup, especially in Canada, it was real spotty. It was in and out. So it's not the writing part of it that is the most difficult because you, you kind of get used to that. But it's, it's, it's the auxiliary stuff, you know, the, you know, making sure you can file a story, making sure the Wi-Fi is working. It's not going to go down and, Sometimes crowd noise affects uh, your uh, cell phone and you can't get reception and, and little things like that that you wouldn't even think of. Wow. But there, there are things that uh, are uh, hurdles more so than writing or covering things. And, you know, the, the, the deadlines are what they are. But, you know, you, yeah. you hate to have – if you're a hockey writer, you just do not like – overtime games or especially shootouts because, you know, you're on a deadline. And, <laughs> yeah. and, yeah. Uh, it's another reason to get rid of the shootout. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not a fan. I'm not, I know the fans love the shootout and they are exciting, but you know, I'm old school. I, you know, I, yeah. I like, you know, ends in a tie. I think both teams deserve a hard fought tie. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but uh, um, yeah, they're just some of the obstacles, but, uh, uh, but you know, ninety-five percent of it is, is a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I, I I really enjoy the beat. This it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I uh, the next season, I you know, I, I know the Eagles and Phillies reporters were la- are loud uh, in in the stadiums, um, yeah. which we were not. And I, I don't know what's going to happen with with the Flyers. That we can tentatively we're going to start January first, but our reporters going to be allowed uh, in the Wells Fargo Center. We we still don't know yet. There are, there are a lot of questions, and with the virus now coming back. Uh, you know, with uh, a fury, um, you know, who knows what it's going to be like in, in January. Yeah. Yeah. And that seems to be the whole question as the NHL started to push things back. There's a lot of unanswered questions with that. But I want to end on an uh, before we wrap up, I want to ask you one more question. You, you, so with all your experience, what, who was the most intriguing athlete or Philadelphia player that you've ever had the pleasure of being able to cover and why? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, when I cut, co- when I covered the Phillies back in the day, Bob Boone was just spectacular, just so down to earth and, and just, uh, you know, it, it, it's amazing because, you know, I see Aaron Boone now, you know, with with, um, with the Yankees and, and, you know, what he's done. I remember him being on the bench as a little kid. and, and uh, But Bob Boone was great. Um, Lenny Dykstra was always interesting. He was kind of <laughs> off the wall. <laughs> the Flyers, I, I would have to say Danny Briere probably. Danny Briere. Oh, okay. And Danny Breer, um, to me, 
I'm surprised he's not in the coaching right now. And he may be. It looks like he's going to uh, have a career in the front office or probably be a general manager someday. But Danny Briere could analyze a game. Like five minutes after a game ended, he would cut right to the heart of what play was the key play and analyze it and what turned the game around. And, and he would go on and on for five minutes about, you know, uh, the strategy behind it and what happened and what or what didn't happen, what was supposed wow. to happen. And he just had such an analytical mind. And uh, he's such a gregarious, warm person, too. Danny's one of my favorite people. And, uh, you know, we still talk. I still see him at the Wells Fargo Center a, a lot. And he's involved with, with Maine, uh, which Comcast owns, the, the Maine franchise. And, and uh, but, uh, yeah, there have been, you know, hundreds of guys that have been great to uh, to work with. Uh, Chris Pronger was always a great one for me too. He was, uh, he was a character and uh, uh, I, I kind of like, I love dealing with guys that aren't politically correct. And I think the, the veterans, uh, they have a little more leeway and they're not as cautious. The young guys, they get cautious. And then all of a sudden about the fourth or fifth year, uh, they start getting away from being politically correct. They feel comfortable in their own skin. Like Sean Couture is a good example. Couture yeah. was very quiet in his first four or five years with this team. And then he got more analytical. And then, you know, he would criticize something that happened, which he didn't feel comfortable doing And uh, in his early years. And uh, Sean is great. Uh, Claude Giroux is a guy who, who still, to this day, um, is just – very not, I wouldn't say defensive, but um, you know, he's he's not analytical and uh, he he o- almost is afraid of stepping on someone's toes and respect him for that. Do you think that's because he's the captain? Like he feels an obligation not to really, yeah, call yeah, out I, I, I think so. And I think he likes to do it, he's just a different style. He likes to do it uh, behind closed doors. If he has yeah. something to say, people have questioned his leadership ability. You know, I think that's overrated to you know, the captain. Uh, myself we definitely I agree think. with that yeah, we, <laughs> that, we you, talked you're about in friendly that. territory on that <laughs> yeah yeah you see Claude Giroux he leads on the ice I mean he, he leaves it all out there but he just has a different personality he, he's not you know uh like a Sean Couture or a Chris Pronger and, and there's nothing wrong with that I mean you know yeah. people in the media have different personalities but um yeah it's just it's just very interesting to deal with with the different people and and uh like I mentioned, Ty- Tyson Forster, I think he's going to be a, a leader type down the road just because uh, of his personality. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's what makes uh, our job so interesting, I think. That'll probably be a fun bonding experience down the line for when, whenever Tyson gets up to the big leagues. He'll be like, guys, come on down to my sheep farm. We'll, we'll <laughs> lug some hay, and that'll be a bonding experience. I can see that, right? Like, come on. That's a good bonding experience, I feel. Like. <laughs> I agree. Well, Sam, this has been a lot of fun. We appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know it's obviously a little weird dealing with coronavirus and no idea what what the time of day it is anymore, but we truly appreciate it. And uh, we'd love to have you back on again sometime. Oh, any, any time. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Scott. Thank thank you. Thank you, Sam. Take care. Anytime. Take care. All right. Sam Carcitti, everyone. We'd love to have him back. Hopefully he makes time out uh, in his busy schedule. He's actually on vacation. I believe he said that during the interview. He I did. He did. He's <laughs> on vacation. and took time out of his vacation took to talk. T- oh, took a half like, hour. Took a half like, hour out of his day to join us. What a good guy, man. That was, that was actually so great to talk to him, get some of that insight. I never knew that like, you know, about Bob Boone. And I didn't even yeah. think of Aaron Brew running around the bay, running around the dugout there and him seeing that. That's, But yeah, like, 
you know, I, I recollect back and I remember reading a lot of his articles when I was a kid and learning a lot about different sports and stuff, you know, like having your kid and having the paper in your hand and you, you read that on Saturday and Sunday, you catch up a lot on that thing. You learn a lot. And I think yep. it's really good to, you know, look back and say, wow, like, you know, regardless if you're a big reader or not of the paper, if you read a lot of flyers articles you know and you read a lot of sports articles this is a man who had a lot of impact on how you perceived a lot of things and i think that's a really cool chance you got to talk to him about it so thank and you he put and, you in your place uh, about patrick line well i mean look i didn't come on i i, I didn't i asked him the flyer <laughs> for thinking that i didn't say i didn't think that but i mean you know at the same time he's right if they have an opportunity to get him go get him go you get him get but him. if you got to give up a lot it's just a, there's a lot of working parts there there's a lot of money you got to move around you know, we didn't get it's into gonna, that too much with them, but it, it, yeah. there's a lot that's happening with that. And that's why we'll maybe next week we'll get into that more about picks and pl- about it's going to be picks and players. And a lot of the players are going to be, it's going to be tough to say yes to, but I think at the end of it, you got to say yes, but we'll see. I don't think it's going to be picks. I, I think you're going to have to move too much money. And I think that because there's not enough money coming in, people are really hesitant to move right now. I don't yep. blame them. I don't blame yeah. them until 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 the league finds out a when it's starting, which hasn't happened yet. They just they just canceled the Winter Classic. They they haven't set an announcement at the stadium series, but you have to think that's gone. They're not going to do think. that, especially with reduced crowds. They're not going to have just yep. a random outdoor game on TV. There's no money coming in for that. Yep. So you have to think from a standpoint now is that they finished the season, they got the Stanley Cup, they made some money off the TV deal, but now the owners are really going to start bleeding money if these guys are playing again and getting their full contracts. I mean, and really, they, they are going to bleed. They just got paid their first paycheck since April, I believe. I think someone said. Yep. I think it was. I think it was Bill Matz. I can't remember exactly who it was, but yeah, like this is not Bill Meltzer, be probably. Yeah, it was probably Meltzer. Uh, okay, well, we go from one legend in Sam Carcitti. And before we close out today's show, the big announcement was Doc Emmerich is retiring. The guy's 74 years old, been a, the voice of hockey, literally the voice of hockey for the last 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, oh, people, that. I mean, but yeah, like, but for NBC, I'm talking, and, but like people also forget he was in and out when uh, Gene Hart was the Flyers play-by-play. He right. was here in Philadelphia for a time before moving on to go bigger and better things and being the national voice of hockey. I mean, this is – it's odd. Like, it's so weird when uh, you and I, I think, are on the same page when play-by-play announcers get kind of a bad rap in general by the fan bases. Joe Buck is the best example. I think he's one of the best. But he Joe gets, Buck is the best. He gets the – he has this, like – pool of people that hate him uh just because of whatever reasons i cannot think of a single person that hates or just did not like the play-by-play uh work that doc emmerich did it's truly something that is going to be missed and I, i if we just talked about the retro jerseys bringing in fans i think if they got this wrong on who the next voice is it might kick people away. It cannot be Kenny Albert. Just please, God, oh, not no. Kenny Albert. Nah, can't, can't be Kenny Albert. Only talking like this the whole time. Oh, Kenny Albert. There he is. Oh, <laughs> shot, score. Oh, boy, what a play. No, no. It's a good impersonation. Uh, uh, hey, listen, uh, Kenny Albert is, like, with all due respect to the man, he is a good announcer. He's been doing Ranger Radio. He does a lot of the national broadcasts on the, uh, as a side job. 
Uh, going back to your thing about Joe Buck, the best thing is his Twitter. He says, I hate if you're oh, reading this, I yes. hate your team. Like yes. that is he leans into it. That's when you know you got, I love it. Yep. That's when you know you got so, a good guy with a good sense of humor. Joe yep. Buck leans into that uh into that uh moniker about him. That, yep. that 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 myth. And with Doc though, you know it's interesting, like Doc's been around a long time. Doc did a lot of broadcasting, did with the Flyers, and then he did also with uh, when Fox was national. He did a lot of games on Fox uh, when they were when they, when they Fox had the NHL. He called then, the Hextall goal. Uh, did he back in yes. 1987? Yeah, the empty netter. Um, wow, I see. Yes. I did not know that. So go back there. I'll find the video. I'll, I'll even try and incorporate it into the end of this episode if I have if I can. He actually talks about. I think that he he he's doing his typical shtick, uh, even in the eighties, and he's like, "Be ready because they're about to pull their pl- the pull their uh, goalie, the extra man." And Hextall is very very good at corralling the puck and being able to handle the puck. Five to ten seconds later, Hextall corrals the puck, flips it in, and it goes into the net. The it's like the Boston announcer did that on that play, yes. too. Because the Boston announcer was like, boy, Hextall's going to score a goal doing that sometime. Yes. He's so strong. Here he is bidding for one. Oh, that didn't he score? The Boston announcer did say, I never knew Doc did yes, that. Yes, Doc that? did it, too. It was incredible. Wow. First, then, I think it's the, still the only goal scored by a goalie in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, uh, that's it. Uh, oh, wait. So that would have been 1989. That would have been 1989 yeah. when they played the Capitals. I'm talking yeah. about the, the first one he scored in the regular season in 1989. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm playoffs. talking about the playoff one. The first oh, so ever. That was against the, the Capitals in 89. Because yes. the Boston yes. one preceded, the Boston answer preceded it in 1987. Yeah. In 1989, abducted that. Now you were saying that. I kind of remember that. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know, it's crazy. Had this, yeah. He did Martin. He scored. He he was there when he called Martin Brodeur's first goal score too. So that, yeah. I mean, that's he, think about this for a second. What the guy's done? He's done that on Fox. Then he went and he didn't really wasn't really on a national stage. He worked for the Devils. Was their announcer for years. And then when the NBC when NHL went to NBC, he became the guy again. Yeah. Um, you know, he really was the voice of hockey in the sense that he really had a great way of telling the story of the game. He really had a great way of telling the emotion of it. And anytime a shot got near that net, you could hear the excitement in his voice. You know, I, me and personally, just me personally, I've always been impartial to Gary Thorne, maybe because during my, my yeah. young years with yeah. that, he had the most energy. But Doc was always right there at that level because of how much energy, even for the Devils, when the Devils had no real fans at the time, probably mm-hmm. still don't, but still, yeah, still you know, they, 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 he had such an energy and way to call a game to keep you interested. And yep. that's, that's what we're really going to miss. I'm a little surprised that Doc called, called it quits right now, but I, with, I didn't with know COVID, you're kind of, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I didn't know he was 74. 74. That's probably played a factor into it. And yeah. So, and yeah. COVID too, with all that stuff going on, probably doesn't want to risk it. I, I don't really blame him, but you know, it's, it's going to be a shame going on. I'd say you who would be a good, one to pick up i mean you know um there was um uh bob cole uh in um into uh, who did the canada broadcast and i believe he retired a couple years ago bob cole and harry neal were doing them mm-hmm. and i think jim houston's the national guy now and jim houston was always ready for that role because he was always doing the video games and stuff yep. you know back in the day uh, jim houston stepped up in that role beautifully i i think a great guy to probably come up and do the one would be Gord Miller. Gord Miller is another great yeah. one. Kenny Albert for me just doesn't have the be able to, he's not a Marv Albert in a sense, like, and I'm not going to yeah. sit here and critique the man. He does his job well. Um, 
Kenny Albert can't display the emotion as much uh, for some yeah. whatever reason. Gord Miller can. I think Gord Miller would be a great thing for and that I don't to think, come to. I don't think Kenny would give up his uh, Fox with NFL Sundays either because he's on like the third or fourth rotation with that team. Um, I think you got to find a guy that like when you pick your next guy to replace Doc Emmerich, he's hockey. Like yeah. he's only doing hockey. The hockey guy. Like, like when it's when it's hockey season, we know we're going to be synonymous with this person that's going to be going to doing play by play because that's what Doc Emmerich was. He was synonymous with hockey. Kenny Albert is all respect to him. I I like his work, but he's the Rangers. He gets every Rangers Rangers national game, and it's not by mistake. That that's just by design. And he's he's a pretty good football play by play. So I think he would be. I think that's a cushion he likes to have, like that that job. So yeah, I. I it's not going to be easy. They always say, "Don't be the guy that replaces the guy." Like that's a yeah. that. So this is this is not going to be a, a, an easy decision for NBC or whoever decides to say yes to the job. And I agree. And I here's the thing with with Kenny Albert. He does the Rangers full time. Like I don't know. Yep. I don't have an issue. But like right now, like you know, Sam Rosen does that going back and forth and doing the Rangers games to the doing the NFL Fox thing too. And he has a national role with that. Let's uh, say Sam Rosen would be the guy, but. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see who they who they have next. And, you know, it's probably why they're waiting for so long for the season to start because they can't figure out who it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That's, that's a good but, theory. It yeah. plays a big part in it. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I I would throw my name in the hat for Gord Miller. Gord Miller did a lot of broadcasts on TSN. He did a lot of ones for the playoffs, especially on USA and stuff. Uh, you know, he was never the one of the top guys. Uh, but – Gord Miller um, would be great, or poach one of the guys from Sportsnet. If you if you yeah. watch any of Canada's sports broadcast, some of those guys are really good. Like Edmonton's announcer gets really into it, and they all have regional announcers. Poach one of those guys. Any one of those Canadian announcers would be perfect for the national. I think I, I think that's. I would hope that that's where they lean. I think they I need to get. So, a, yeah. I think they need to get a Canadian voice to come down and get things. And then Americanize it from there, if that makes sense. I think yeah, that's how you can get it. do it. Yeah, I think, they, I think that'll draw an audience. They need some. They need two things: someone, most importantly, to tell that story, and number two, bring that energy. And yep. you can't have a guy who can who sounds like he's only bringing some of the energy. He needs to bring all of the energy. And yeah, Doc did that. Doc told the great stories, and Doc had the way with the English vocabulary that no person has ever had employer doing hockey before. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, the NHL's got red and NBC. They've got a lot of work to do to figure out what to do because it really is a big deal. You're absolutely right. Yep. Well, that is going to do it for episode 54 of Orange and Backcheck. Our thanks to Sam Carcitti again. I can't believe he decided to decide to do a half hour with us. That was more than generous of him. Follow him. I put his uh, Twitter account in the link below, in the description below, excuse me, uh, of the podcast. So be sure to follow him if you don't already. Check out his article. I mean, literally, Tyson Forrester is going to be the next star of the Philadelphia Flyers, hopefully, and he's doing it by doing sheep farm. Sheep farming. Thank you. Great, a great article. Honestly, it's take so take day and read it. You'll learn a lot. It's fantastic. It's so much fun. But yeah, shoot him a, give him a follow if you haven't already. Again, it's down in the description. Give us a follow at Orange and Backcheck on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Email us orangeandbackcheck at gmail.com. Until next time, we'll talk to you again. See ya. Thank you, Doc.